Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zivi. I'm the host, Zivi Owens. I am an author. My latest is blank, pub date March 1st, a novel. I'm also a podcaster, obviously, a publisher, a bookstore owner, and so much more. If you love books, you're in the right place. In fact, we call it the Zivi-verse, or really, the LA Times called it the Zivi-verse, and we're going with it. Go to ZiviOwens.com to learn more and follow me on Instagram at ZiviOwens. Gina Maffa is the author of Moving On Doesn't Mean Letting Go, A Modern Guide to Navigating Loss. Gina Maffa, LCSW, is a licensed clinical social worker in a private practice in New York City. In the field for nearly 20 years, Maffa has helped thousands of people seeking treatment for grief and trauma. This includes work with Holocaust survivors at the 92nd Street Y, an international nonprofit, as well as being a clinical director for Mount Sinai. Maffa has extensive training in grief work, trauma, cognitive therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, internal family systems therapy, and mindfulness-based relapse prevention for substance use disorder, as well as depression. One of Maffa's clinical passions is helping people navigate their healing from loss and grief in a way that empowers them to find a new sense of fearlessness, understanding, and meaning in the face of unpredictable grief. The majority of her practice consists of people seeking support and guidance for a major loss in their life, whether through death, divorce, or an unwanted life transition. Her book offers a heartfelt practical map through the dark terrain of loss. Welcome, Gina. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Moving On Doesn't Mean Letting Go, A Modern Guide to Navigating Loss. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Zibby, so much for having me. I'm loving being here. Oh, good. Me too. Loving having you here. (laughs) (laughs) Your book was so great for a couple of reasons. One, it gave a new framework for something that everybody experiences at one point or another. And You just twisted it enough to make people think about it differently, which I love. And two, you interspersed your own story. So we couldn't help but root for you and as you went through the loss of your mom and everything else. And the two things combined made this particularly powerful as, and the way you speak to the reader. You're like, it's as if we're in a session with you. You're like, okay, we're going to do this. Like, okay, I just need you to do this. I need you. Now we're going to, you know, it's just, it was so comforting. It was just so comforting. Oh, thank you so much. I'm not so even much. in grief, technically. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not like in acute grief or anything. But for anyone who's lost anyone ever, I feel like it's really helpful. I so appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I felt like after the pandemic, people were experiencing grief in so many different ways. And there was just no access to grief therapy or grief support that felt specific enough. And so I really wanted to. I mean, my aim was to write a book that could speak to kind of the entire modern grief experience outside of death. 
but also, you know, bring it to a place where I wanted people to feel like they were sitting across from me. You know, everything can be so either authoritative or prescriptive. And it's, and it's hard to sort of take that in when you're in a place of trauma or fresh grief because you don't have the brain cells for it. But, you know, also sharing my story felt near, it, it felt like it had to happen because I'm, I'm there. I understand those moments. And, and I don't know that I would have written this if I really didn't go through my own huge grief fall too. Yeah. Grief fall. That was one of my favorite terms. Tell everybody about grief fall and how you came up with when you started specializing, like you tell us all the narrative in the story, but how you came to be an expert. And then when you coined some of these phrases or realized that they were so useful, both grief fall and also how you talk about, what is it? Grief, not grief transition. What was it at the end? Grief Grief integration. Integration. Grief integration. integration. (laughs) Yes. Which I also love. Yeah. I love it. There's four questions in there. So I'll start with- (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You can just talk the rest of the time. I'll uh, kick my feet up. No, we need you. (laughs) Yeah. So I graduated from NYU back in 2004 when they did not have any classes on grief. And so at that time, when I first started graduate school and ended my undergrad, I was studying psychological terrorism and its and, and its aftermath. And so I decided to specialize in trauma. And so for many, many years, I worked in the trauma field and I worked with Holocaust survivors at the 92nd Street Y. We did a lot of projects with them. And in hearing the stories, there was so much grief that wasn't really being amplified. It wasn't being heard and it wasn't being tended to. And so it really started for me, the beginning of my journey of really unfolding and specializing in both trauma and grief, but also how they relate to each other and where grief lives in trauma, but also the stories that we tell and how many layers of grief we all have. You know, I hear all the time, you know, there's so many different things that people lose, transitions along the way that we just don't give enough attention to or we don't engage with enough and we don't honor. And so that sort of started it for me. And so I realized that there were just no grief groups in the summertime. (laughs) It was like, people don't want to talk about grief at the beach, you know? And it really dawned on me that grief was a topic that people shied away from more. They didn't want to talk about. They felt it was contagious in some ways. We don't understand it. You know, I say all the time, we're a grief illiterate society And yet we are all going to, you know, go through it at some point in some way. If not, we already have just without acknowledging it. And so that's sort of how the journey began in really wanting to teach more about grief, but teach about it in a way that felt approachable and really tap into the thing that we can all identify with, which is sort of what brought me to the idea of the grief fall. And, you know, because it's such a visceral and visual word, you know, when I, and I talk about this in the book, you know, when I got the news that my mom died, I had just left her. I just had to do one thing at my job. So I took the train down from the Hudson Valley and I really just needed the morning and was going to take an hour and be right back on that train. But as soon as I called my dad and, you know, checked in and said, I'm going to be on this next train, I'll be there in another hour. He called me right back and said, when I answered the phone, you know, to come in, you know, to talk to you, she died. And I just stopped and everything fell. It just felt this, you know, my stomach fell, you know, it was, everything stopped in that moment. And it was this defining moment for me. And it felt like just 
I was in this free fall without any understanding or knowledge or experience in it. And I didn't know if I would land, where I would land, how I would land, feeling like I would hit all of the sides, the jagged edges of loss on the way down. And I was terrified and also shocked because I am a grief therapist. And having all the tools, having done this for quite a long time and feeling like I was completely unprepared for my own loss. And so I thought this is a moment everyone can relate to because everyone has that one moment where nothing is ever the same. That one moment where they get a diagnosis or the news or they have a visual, right? Holding your pet's paw if you have to put them down. It's this one moment that is a, a portal. It is a doorway. It's not grief itself. It's what leads us there. And some people don't, you know, don't get to that grief part yet because they're still in that fall. And it could be through denial or, you know, just living in that loss because they don't want to be away from, you know, what they've lost. Everyone who's listening could think of that one moment that everything changed. And I wanted to honor that because we just don't. We tend not to. It's so true. You know, for me, it was losing my friend on 9-11. Like, I Mm -hmm. still, like, I'm writing a new novel and... Like in yeah. it popped, right? It, like that wasn't even in the outline, right? But now little do you know, like it comes out and you realize like all this stuff, it just stays right in there, whether it's top of mind or not. Like once your subconscious gets going, that's like behind the curtain. Yeah. It's always there because it's been imprinted, right? That's a trauma. Anybody at least who lost someone there or watched it or was a part of it or lived in New York, you know, like, like us and it, it, it's imprinted in our nervous system and it's just waiting for something similar to bring it right back up. And that's what we don't, that's kind of what we don't acknowledge a lot of the time with our big life events, especially hard ones. It's right there. I don't know if you saw, and this will come out a little bit after, but there was an article in one of the papers today about the events of October 7th versus 9-11 and how 9-11 was so horrible. But the next day we all sort of united and collectively picked ourselves up and helped each other, whereas this is still ongoing. Like there was no resolution to what happened. And worse than that, people became so fractured about it. So it's like still going on, even though it's Mm -hmm. months later, and how to process the grief from both of those things. Did you see that? (laughs) I didn't see it yet, but I'm going to. I saw it and then I didn't read it yet. It's been (laughs) kind of nutty over here in LA. But yeah, because in a way it's, 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 they're both ambiguous losses, right? There's no real closure happening. But with this one, because it's really ongoing, and as opposed to a kind of what seemingly was a one-day event, it sort of riles us up. And, and I think that nobody knows, you know, nobody knows how to feel, even though you kind of should, because life is life. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is an ambiguous loss. And I think when people don't know what to do when there's no closure, and so they either create their own narratives around it or they choose sides, or they create villains, Mm -hmm. just to have a semblance of control. And because this is something that very few people outside of like top leadership really have control over. And that makes it so much more unbearable. But yeah, it is. And it's a big loss. I feel like people, though, 
don't allow themselves to feel loss, whether it's that or something else, or even like a loss of a, of a celebrity you feel like an attachment to. Like people are like, well, this is ridiculous. I shouldn't feel upset. I have no right to feel upset or I didn't lose anyone. So I shouldn't be grieving or I shouldn't be, all these shoulds associated with loss, I think get so in the way of coping with it and overcoming it. Yeah, I think we get really self-protective a lot of the time because it feels so outside of our control. And I think that's what makes grief and loss so terrifying is that there's nothing we can do about it. And it's final in a lot of ways outside of, you know, the ambiguous losses that we have no, you know, closure with or whatever, it's still ongoing. But I think that the Western world especially is really obsessed with control and the need to have, you know, everything in a very quaint little box that we can contend with in our own ways. And I think this makes it really much, much, much harder. So, but I mean, we have relationships because people have meaning to us, whether they're celebrities or not, they affect us in some way, whether they're people we know or not, their stories can affect us in some way. And I think that it shows that we're all connected in all of these different ways, even if we don't want to be. How do you deal with your own emotions and the toll that it takes to sort of hold heavy stories every day? I was just asked that question yesterday. Oh, no, I hate asking the same <laughs> questions as other no, people. No, That's so annoying. So I'm sorry. You asked it in a different way, but it's so funny because, and I only share that because it's such a hard question because there's so many different answers, right? I say, as a therapist, as therapist me, I couldn't do this work if I didn't see change, triumph, healing, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 overarching kind of place that we can get to when we integrate things into our life and make it a part of who we are to move forward. I don't know that I could do it if I just saw darkness and death and grief every day. Mm-hmm. But there are these glimmers, you know, and and I also don't, you know, I sort of see myself as this vessel in some place, you know, and really allowing the stories to come in and through me and as a sieve mm-hmm. to sort of hold the good treasures and let all of the other stuff fall away and and that's how I survive it for 20 years. <laughs> but I would be lying if I didn't say it affects me a lot, you know, especially lately. There's there's not just individual grief, but there's collective grief. Mm-hmm. And there's so much to hold right now. And there's so much to sort of, I guess, continue to sift through time and again, because there's so much, there's so much coming at us at so many different, you know, varying rates. And how do we believe it? What do we hold on to? And yeah. how do we how do we comfortably sit in the news or the collective trauma and grief while not taking it totally in to destroy us? You know, because it's hard. It is hard. Oh my gosh. Hey grown-ups, the Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the cat in the hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode.
So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. You talked in the book about the, getting to a place where other people feel like it's time for you to like move on and get over it. And yet you're not ready to do that at all. And in fact, you're never going, I mean, that's like the title of your book, right? You're never <laughs> going to totally get over it. You're, you're going to find a new way to live with this new piece of yourself. And yet others feel the need to like speed it up and like get you back on your feet. And, you know, they try to say like, well, it wasn't this, it wasn't that. Like, come on, just do it. I mean, I'm just hypothesizing here. <laughs> you sound like you sound like all the people saying those things. Yeah, your society. I am. I am mimicking society <laughs> at large. Thank you yeah. very much. I will wait for my Oscar. <laughs> what do you do about that? Why do people do that? What do you do? I mean, I know it's like the same need for control. You'll probably say, but like, what is it that makes people want to speed it up, other than the pain of watching someone else? And what do you say to people when in when you're in those situations? I think, can I blame capitalism this time? Blame whatever you want. <laughs> we, we won't tell. <laughs> we won't tell. I mean, look, obviously there's great things about capitalism. However, you know, when it comes to the understanding that people suffer, you know, this is where we don't have time. We have to be productive. There's a lot of pressure on being winners and keepers and, you know, doing and producing. And I think that, you know, and I say this for mostly any mental health challenge, that society doesn't have patience for something that it doesn't understand and something that doesn't have a proper time limit. Mm -hmm. And because grief doesn't have a timeline and because it's messy and because it's nonlinear, you know, there's no patience for it because we don't understand it. And because everybody's, you know, has, everyone has a unique and individual experience with it. It's kind of like, okay, now what, what do we do then? But the truth is, is that we're just a grief illiterate society more and more and more. And we seemingly have a shortened attention span for suffering. And yet everybody is suffering in some way. I mean, look, look at the statistics. Millions of people are suffering with depression at the very least. And so, you know, I say that it's because we haven't been taught how to grieve and therefore we haven't been taught how to support people in grieving. And, and that goes from corporate to education to healthcare, you know, look at bereavement leave policy. People get to tell you, you know, how long you have to take care of, you know, your grief or your loved one's funeral, you know, and God forbid it's a pet, you know, you get no time off, you know, they get to prioritize, society gets to prioritize who's the most important loss. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at it that way, of course, it trickles down to society, you know, through communities and through families, and we just have these unspoken expectations. I think some of it is discomfort, some of it is fear, but some of it is just that we haven't been taught how to do it right. Mm -hmm. We haven't been taught how to be there for one another and how to hold space for one another, or even more importantly, how to do ritual with one another and be really present in that place. Because so much of the Eastern world has these beautiful rituals around death that it makes it, I guess, more accessible, right? It doesn't push away or stigmatize deep emotion. You know, we can't wail here in the United <laughs> States. Like, that's like a big no. And so, you know, if people are acting crazy, quote unquote, and having extreme emotional responses to something that they should have that with, 
they're, you know, looked down upon as crazy. Maybe they need medication. Maybe they need hospitalization. But really, this is a deep human wound. The deepest human wound is loss. And we just don't have the space for it. And so I think that's really where we're at. And that's what we have to change. How can we show up better for one another in this place and in this way? So maybe it won't have to be so hard. Wow, that was beautiful. I've noticed through our mutual friend, Megan Reardon Jarvis. Oh, love her. Love her so much. Um, She's been so helpful over so much time. I'm so glad I met her when I did in my book club. And of course, now she wrote a book with us. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) A beautiful book. Uh, But with Megan, you know, and with what you were saying about your own mom, there's no protection if you know it. And I've realized two things about grief counselors. One, when, when something happens to you, you feel protected and yet you're not because it's like a skydiving instructor who's like never actually jumped out of the plane but has watched a thousand videos and coaches people but then it's like yeah oh. but also that there is like this incredibly tight-knit really fun group of grief people out there grief mm-hmm. experts are actually not actually I shouldn't say actually but they're not they're a group that loves to come together and very supportive of each other and like a whole thing. So I didn't know that before. Tell me about that. (laughs) Well, you know what? I didn't know that before. Yeah. I didn't know that before either. You know, (laughs) I was just this isolated therapist in private practice. And then the idea of writing a book came about and it was, you know, kind of out of nowhere, you know, recommended by my clients, like, can you just write a book? Because we love what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And then because of that, I wound up meeting so much of the grief community and Megan, who's the ultimate connector. She's, I call her the connective tissue because she really (laughs) brings us all together. You know, I got to meet people whose book I recommended, you know, Claire Bidwell Smith, you know, or or David Kessler, you know, a lot of really wonderful people doing this work with immense heart. And, and I think what I love most about it is that we're all so clumsy too, and we're all so human in it. And there's so much acceptance around that and support around that, that it's a gift that I didn't see coming. And so, you know, even though, and it's funny because even though we all work with kind of the same people and the same types of populations, it's all really different. You know, I work with a lot of younger people, emerging adults, you know, people in their thirties, you know, at this point, I think it's kind of the the most thirties and forties. And yet, you know, it's, and it can be a really different grief experience, you know, depending on your age and depending on where you live and all of that. And so I love that we each kind of have different, different people and different, you know, experience with experiences with, you know, the people that we work with and, And yet I love that we are able to be so honest and authentic with each other because we do need it. You know, just this morning I was talking with Barry Liner Grant. I think Mm -hmm. you know her too. And the memory circle, an amazing friend. Glad I reminded you of something. Sorry, sorry, and- sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love I'm so it. sorry. My, yeah, okay. We're doing an event with her soon. Okay, I just forgot to send an invitation. I love her. And, you know, it was kind of the same thing. And I said, listen, you know, I I think I'm going through perimenopause or something soon and I may need some help. <laughs> you know, I feel crazy. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing, you know, and I'm going through a new phase of life without a mom. And, you know, this is the time that we need our people. We need mm-hmm. people who can just be there and nurture and kind of remother in a way and, and, or be a big sister. And so, you know, I really needed it and the, the, the way that I can reach out and the way, the ways that we can show up for each other is, is truly a gift that I, I really 
I don't take a second of it for granted. It's really beautiful and humbling too. So I'm grateful for our community in more ways than I can say. Amazing. And what about just deciding to write a book? That's <laughs> that crazy. Who does that? <laughs> and then like it becomes that? this beautiful hardcover and, you know, Lupita, oh how do you pronounce God. it? Lupita Nyong'o? Yeah, Lupita Nyong'o. And I didn't Nyong'o. even know. I was like, oh my goodness. Some friends sent me this, sent me her reel and I was like, oh, that's so wonderful that she's got these great books on here. And I didn't watch it all the way through. And I was like, oh, it's so she has great books. Wonderful. And my friend, you know, was like, wait a minute. Did you see? Did you watch until the end? And I had it. And mine was the last book. And, you know, the way that she, I, you know, of course I analyze it. And I'm like, oh, the way that she so tenderly looks at it when she puts it down. And I'm just little me, you know, I'm just this grief therapist in New York who just wanted to have a soft place to land. You wanted to provide, you know, as grief informed, you know, support as I possibly could, but it was a wild ride, you know, and it was very quick. I had a four month deadline to write this book while also working full time and kind of dealing with some health challenges. And so, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's such a vulnerable piece because I share things in here that I don't share in my practice. You know, Mm -hmm, it's, it's mm -hmm. always a funny position to be in when you're a therapist sharing something and, you know, and, and so some of my book where I do share, I'm like, oh boy, like, this is a lot. I would never do this in my real life. But, you know, you take a chance because you hope that the authenticity will be relatable and make you a real person and, you know, give you more dimensions because I've been around the block too, you know, and, and it's, it's hard. And yet there's something behind that, that can be an offering. And that, that is my deepest hope, you know. And there's so many beautiful books out there on grief, you know, and, and everyone has a different voice and a different way of, of looking at it and being a, you know, being that sieve, you know, of holding Mm -hmm. the treasures. But my hope in writing this was just to be a part of the conversation, you know, just to have a seat at the table and be a part of this with, with the community, you know, and I'm so grateful that that's where we are right now. So, and even being here with you, you're it's like, like you're, at the head of the t- you're at the head of the table. What are you talking about? Oh, no. It's <laughs> like, this is such a gift. I mean, it's such a gift, you know, and I don't have to go on and on about, you know, how wonderful you are and all of the things you oh. are doing and building, but it is, and I don't want to keep using the gift, but it really is a treasure that gives and gives and gives. And so to be a part of this and for all you do for your community, I, I tell you that a lot, but it's, thank you. It, it bears repeating Thank that you. this is wonderful and all you're doing. And I'm just grateful to be a part of it. Thank you. So well, whether or not you're on the podcast, you're a part of it anyway. You know, it's, it's the podcast is only one entry point into, you know, the Zippy verse as it was, as it were. <laughs> it is, a, um, it is a verse. <laughs> I wrote, I rode the wormhole and here we are <laughs> from, from uh, Hachette over here, you know, but, but it's all a family, you know, and it's really about the connectedness and, and getting our messages across in the best way possible to reach people and, and reach hearts because mm-hmm. that's really the hope at, at the end yes. of the day. So, so thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you for saying that. Uh, Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? My advice is make sure that you create a support system ahead of time Mm -hmm. because it is hard and you will have imposter syndrome and you will doubt yourself and you will wonder if you're doing it right. You will beat yourself up. You will wonder why you want to just snack and sew holes in socks instead of write. And 
you will need people to say, you can get through this. I am here. I will send you chocolate. <laughs> and, you know, and I think for me, it was sort of be learning as I went along and, and sort of having to accept the loneliness of it. But I would say that, you know, the support system is the biggest, biggest thing. And to keep doing it, you know, to keep remembering that you don't have to worry about being a bestseller. You know, there's so much competition and there's so much compare and despair with authors and everyone wants to write a book and everyone wants to be a bestseller, but that's not what it's about. It's Mm -hmm. really about who can I reach? How can I best reach them? Why am I the person to do it? And how can I be heard without having to worry about the ego part of this? And also, how do I do it without doubting myself every step of the way? And that's through people, (laughs) people who love you, people who cheer you on, people who will tell you to get over yourself and, and to keep going. And those are the gifts. Those are those, those gardeners that we get to have in our garden. And so that would be my advice. I love compare and despair. That's awesome. I mean, I've never heard that, but yes, don't compare and despair should be like on a author contract or something. <laughs> yeah. The marketing I think guy. on every page of it. Yeah. Every, every page, page of it. Is. Yes. I love that. <laughs> from start to finish. From yeah. start to finish. But yeah, I mean, what you do is so much, you really give to your authors. And I, and I think that's unheard of in a lot of publishing worlds. Oh my gosh, stop with me. Stop, stop, stop. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But it's true. I mean, I tell, I mean, if you hear, but it's true, you know, being an author in the everyday publishing, traditional publishing world, there's a lot you do on your own. And that's why I say you need the support, you need the support. But if you're you're in the Zibby world, <laughs> you do, you really hold hands, you really set up people for success. And and that is something that I think, you know, I have envy of in some <laughs> ways. I tell Megan all the time, like, how did I how come I, I didn't write a memoir? Why, you know, why am I not in Zibby's world? Of course, obviously being privileged to even get a book deal and be in this world, no, of I course, understand. of course. But you know. <laughs> But it is about being set up for success. And so how do we set ourselves up for success is really the support that we put around us and how we create that ourselves if we don't have Zibby. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is easy to compare and despair, for sure. Well, that's great advice. Thank you for this ego boost of a podcast for me. It's nice to That's be what able. I'm here for. Sort of see. Uh, are you accepting, not asking for myself? Are you still accepting clients now these days or no? I, you know, I wasn't, but I have just, I'm sort of trying to open up space. I had all of this time set aside for writing and marketing and PR, but you know, the truth of the matter is, is I miss, you know, I do, I am, I still have a full client lo- mm-hmm. load, but I, but I do miss, you know, mm-hmm. meeting new people and having the book be something that brings people to me. So. Mm-hmm. So yes, <laughs> not a lot, but maybe a few, Got a it. few spaces, but absolutely. Good to know. And I love it. Yeah. So reach out. Otherwise, I'm just going to hang on the floor with, with the labs behind you. <laughs> <laughs> My dream is to just hang with the dogs. <laughs> that's I know when that's you said, good enough therapy. When you said that part at the beginning about like, holding a dog's paw. I was like, oh my gosh, don't go there. Just don't even Oh, I know. Think. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. You know, but the truth is, is not enough people give enough credit for how devastating the loss of a pet can be. And, yes. and it's so hard. So yeah. just putting that out there for people who don't feel like they get enough attention or care around pet loss, it's hard. Sometimes more hard than other people in our lives. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's but so much love. 
So much I know. Anyway. And routine. Oh, I could go on about dogs. Okay. <laughs> Maybe your next, but anyway. your, next uh, your next book or something, you know, specifically right? about, you know, dog loss. Anyway. Okay. Thank you, Gina. This was amazing. I loved that you made time at the last minute. I have to like put a picture of you with this necklace that matches perfectly. You should sell the necklace with the book. Oh my goodness. No, See, it's gorgeous. <laughs> no, it's gorgeous. It's the exact I, colors. What are the odds? I so appreciate. I mean, honestly, this wasn't planned. This was a for everyone. This was a last minute but setup still. here. But but even the, hey, listen, the, the row behind you, and you're in a hotel. I mean, it's like I was going to say this came with it. Everything I know came with it. <laughs> it was meant to be. It was meant, meant to, to be. be. Meant to be. In this wild ride that is flooding LA right now. So. Well, hang in there. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, right. It's movie day. Movie day. But anyway, thank you, Zibby, so much. And You're thanks welcome. again for all your doing. And listen, I want to be a part of it. So here okay. I am. Great. Okay. <laughs> Please You're, include me. <laughs> You're a part of it. I just made little membership cards. I'm going to start sending them out. <laughs> not even kidding. Oh my gosh. I love it. Well, I'm not too far from you when I'm in New York. I'm on the Upper oh, West Side. So okay. my office so- and everything is on the Upper West Side. So great. We'll have to do an event or something. There are so yeah. many books I've read lately that I'm like, oh, like the person who wrote that memoir should really talk to Gina, you know? So I'll, I'll keep, yeah. Here I am. There you are. Okay. <laughs> anyway, right. thank you so much. I love this. This was amazing. And I'm just happy that we're connected. So you thank you. You too. Thank you. So you take care of yourself. Stay well. Okay. You too. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.